Welcome to Purpose Inc., the podcast where we discuss corporate purpose and stakeholder capitalism. I'm your host, Michael Young. My guest today is Heather Clancy, Vice President and Editorial Director at Green Biz Group. Green Biz is the must-read media platform that examines climate change and other global environmental issues as threats to business and society. Heather is an award-winning journalist who chronicles the role of technology in enabling corporate climate action and transitioning to a clean, inclusive, and regenerative economy. Her articles have appeared in Entrepreneur, Fortune, the International Herald Tribune, and the New York Times. And Heather, in your work, you're both tech positive in that you see tech as a solution to the climate crisis, but I'd also say you're a clear-eyed skeptic in that tech won't solve all our problems without corporate ethics, government action, systemic social change. And I hope that's a fair reading. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me here. And I really, I do think that's a clear reading. <laughs> I, although only more recently have I gotten over to the place where I can be a skeptic. I, I will say that I do have a Pollyanna tendency. I, I see the good in everything, but, um, have been more lately just recognizing the systemic and societal changes that need to occur in order for the technology to actually do what it's supposed to do. So I appreciate that you recognize that I'm moving in that direction. Hmm. Well, I think we all are indeed, because, mm -hmm. you know, there's a, you know, no question there's a need and a desire and a, and a rapid need um, but not everything that's been laid out has really come to pass and come to promise. So maybe just to kind of dip into that, how are you thinking about the intersection between sustainability and social justice and environmental justice? And I know that's a very large surface area, um, but like, how, do, how are you thinking about that now, you know, post-pandemic, post-George Floyd, post everything we've heard about net zero commitments, on and on and on. Yeah. So I, there's a couple of different paths I can take us down with that answer. So I, I will start first with the realization during the pandemic that the sustainability profession, which I admire and I obviously cover, um, I think corporations have a huge role to play in addressing climate change. After all, they they're the ones that kind of got us into this situation. And many of them recognize that they need to be part of the solution. But I think one of the things that became just vividly clear during the racial justice awakening, if you will, was that the sustainability profession is not diverse. I mean, is I, I'm not going to start spouting statistics because I don't have them at my fingertips, but let's just suffice to say that the people that um, are being affected by climate change in communities around the United States and around the world tend not to be the ones holding the roles within corporate America that are coming up with the policies for addressing climate change. So that for me was a big sort of aha moment was just understanding that you know, we have a lot of w very well-meaning environmentalists 
um, in some cases, pushing solutions and ideas and technologies into places without having conversations with those communities about what they could, what they really want, for, first of all, but what, what would be appropriate in those communities. So that, for me, was one of the big uh, you know, realizations and revelations of that moment. And for me, that means that the sustainability profession needs to be a whole lot more about the S, the, the social, right? So um, sustainability and environmental, social, and governance are the two themes that are really kind of um, being talked about a lot in corporate America right now. So you have the whole ESG, envir environmental, social, and governance movement, and that's what the investors are calling for. They want to see more of um, issues and 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 policies and procedures and processes in the companies they're investing in. But a lot of the the metrics and everything that are that are available and that the sustainability movement has focused on is really the E part of that, the environmental part, right? So the, a lot about compliance and regulations and so forth. There isn't as much on the social side. And that's where, for me, the intersection really needs to happen is we need to not only um, address those communities, um, but we need to include those communities in the solutions. And so that's, that's how I see this, um, this playing out right now at this moment. Yeah, yeah, great. And, you know, I think they're, <clears throat> you know, back to the sort of splashy commitments and, um, you know, that, that, that have been made mm -hmm. over the past couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think we, we on this podcast talk a lot about the say-do ratio and, mm -hmm. and accountability and, 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 and really putting uh, not just, you know, a PR stake in the ground, but actually changing business models and changing executive compensation and really um, looking at the systemic issues, whether that's in, you know, the financial world or in, you know, just straight up extractive industries, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> and just from where you sit as a, you know, as a, as a, a writer and editor and, thinker in this space, um, like how do you, how would you calibrate the information that's coming at you from corporations? Is there a, you know, is there sufficient introspection? Do they, do those organizations really see maybe the gaps and the flaws in their arguments or are they just kind of coming at you with, you know, we're all about racial justice and, and social justice. And then I think, you know, the famous counter to that is please post a photograph of your board of directors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did, how does the flow of information to you um, as, as, as someone who I'm sure gets a lot of that? Ooh. So I could parse a couple things here. One, one is that I think corporations are realizing that they can no longer speak in estimates and in, um, you know, approximate reduction, you know, if you're talking about greenhouse gas reductions, I mean, I mean, the reality is, and you and I both have a tech, the technology world and in our background, but the, a lot of this stuff is still done on spreadsheets and it's not very systemic within the organization. It's not part of the operational 
ethos. It's not embedded into the enterprise software. Um, the good news is that there's a lot of tools coming out that will allow more for that real-time access to data. The bad news is right now, still a lot of it is guesstimates, right? So I think number, the first thing to realize is that, um, yeah, when when companies are coming out with these big, bold commitments, they're a lot of the time, and I, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, a lot of the time they're doing them as kind of like a an aspirational thing, right? So that's where they want to get to. How, they, how they're going to get there is less clear. And so when I get bombarded with commitments, my first thing, my first course of action is to look at what are all the short-term goals towards that longer-term commitment. So I look very carefully at the the actual roadmap and, um, you know, how realistic that roadmap is and what, and what metrics they're using to get there. Like, so what, what organizations are they working with? Are they, are they, are these targets based on science, right? Have, so have they actually calculated what their impact is by industry, by their location and so forth? And how, and how did they calculate that? Was, was it, are they using one of these newer tools that's, that's out there now when they're using newer software, applications or platforms, or are they just kind of like, you know, like I said, guesstimates. Um, so that's one of the things that I look at. I do think that there is more realization from the corporate world now that they're not, that they are going to get called on things. I think that especially in Europe, right, where there are regulations about greenwashing, it is harder to make a commitment without actually having the real plan in place. In the United States, it's still a little easier to do that. You know, you can just kind of say, hey, we're going to do this and we hope we can get there. And, you know, I think it's up, incumbent upon journalists and act, well, activists to call people on that, to call the companies on the on those commitments. And you're seeing much more of that. You're, you're not seeing, um, you're, you're seeing a lot, lots of people following the money trail, right? So, okay, you say you do this, but hey, you put your money over here. You know, like, what does that mean? Um, so... That's kind of where I am right now in my arc of my career as I am as I'm moved away from the Pollyannish to in the I am going to look at far with far more skeptically at any claim that comes out. So um, that's how I filter my inbox. Mm, nice. That's that's great. Well, and and I think you <clears throat> you know, you mention or you, you know, you unpack the the dimensions that tech plays. One you talked about, which is just better software, better tools that can aggregate and and give everyone a clear picture. And I think that's a huge opportunity. Uh, I think maybe we could dip into some of the positive innovations that are coming out of tech, um, mm -hmm. you know, because there are a lot, you know, EVs and carbon capture and, you know, many, many, many tech companies are focused on positive solutions. And I, I think we'd be remiss not to talk about some of the negative externalities of tech um, as it relates to climate. And, and I'm not just talking about, you know, massive data centers that are sucking up, you know, tons of electricity, but, mm -hmm. you know, some of the, maybe the, the false flags that have been put out there. And I mean, I think, you know, web three yet to be determined, but it doesn't seem to have much utility beyond a lot of hype. So maybe just, you know, unpack that yeah. if you would. Yeah. So there's, a, there's several things that I'll try to unpack here. So first of all, I already kind of alluded to 
The information technology that is coming out at this time um, in the form of better analytics, uh, artificial intelligence, accounting systems, if you will, even if something that basic, that is super important for where we are in this moment. So from an accounting standpoint, it gets the data more real. We, 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 it's tied to actual systems of records. It's tied to actual transactions. And we really do need these tools. And you're going to see, I think, a huge um, probably consolidation in that space. There's a lot of startups, a lot of startups there that have received millions, uh, millions, if not billions of dollars of funding uh, over the past, like, say, five years. And now you have all the big enterprise software companies also going after the space. So SAP, Microsoft, Salesforce, others are, are really focusing in on these systems of record for, for companies. So that's one thing, right? Uh, as far as the, the Web3 mo- moment, if you will, um, I think there's actually kind of some interesting potential applications. I haven't quite worked through my head yet, but if you think about... Um, Blockchain. So uh, I'll give you two examples here. One is blockchain. So the blockchain ledger that underlies Bitcoin and and, um, other cryptocurrencies, that system is potentially important for supply chains, right? So to get to trace, if you will, the, the provenance of a thing all the way up through to the to the corporation. And that's one of the trickiest parts of, of, of dealing with climate change right now is that's scope three, the, the stuff that's in your supply chain that you don't control, but that, you know, in many cases is a huge majority of a, of a corporation's emissions footprint, all of these business partners along the way. So I feel like there is definitely potential for that type of technology to play a huge role in there. And then, and to just take that a little bit further, um, it also plays a role in helping some of the, if you will, unbanked, the people at the end of these supply chains that aren't getting credit for their role to be maybe paid in a different way. So if you think about, you know, maybe, maybe an, a decentralized way of, of making sure that uh, a waste picker, if you will, someone who's picking up plastic in an emerging economy could be compensated for that and recognized in a way that they're not recognized now. And further to, you know, to, to just to take this traceability and to, you know, this credit, a way of creating value, you could also see this playing a role in maybe carbon markets, right? So if you turn a carbon credit into a verifiable token of some sort, there could be a more, um, disciplined form of trading for those, for those markets. And so that could be a, a, that, that could be a place where that plays a role. So that's not on the whole, like information technology website on the, on the applied technology side. And this is where you get into things that are questionable, right? You mentioned electric vehicles, the big one, the big hot button right now for many climate activists is carbon capture technology. Like their thesis is we don't want this stuff. It perpetuates the fossil fuels economy right? We don't need these things. Why are you investing in these things? They're bad. They're, 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 they're a distraction. They're, they're not helping. Um, I am in the middle on this one. I can see that point. However, the fact remains that we are not going to just flip off these 
fossil fuels plants right away. We They're going to be operating for a number of years into the future because you can't just turn the electricity off. <laughs> like, you can't, it just doesn't, it, you will turn the entire economy off. So, so in terms of getting a transition to happen, we absolutely need that technology to get, remove the carbon, like to prevent us from putting any more carbon into the atmosphere. So I feel like there's a role for that that sort of technology. Um, that's my perspective. You know, I'm, you might have a counter perspective, but um, you know, there's a lot of pushback on that on that technology sort of technology right now. I think that's probably the most controversial that in geoengineering, <laughs> which you know, which I guess some people believe that carbon capture technologies actually are are part of the geoengineering. And again, I can see that criticism. Um, but anyway, so that's, there's a lot of exciting things happening in climate tech. Um, you know, obviously the EVs are, are, are a huge talking point for, um, many right now, but the thing I call follow most closely is the carbon capture partly because we, we, we don't just, we need to reduce and that's yes. And that's happening, but we also need to remove. Um, and that's, that's where that will play a role. Yeah, and I don't really have a, you know, a strong, strong opinion on carbon capture um, uh, unless, and I don't know enough about it, but it, it, to my mind, sometimes falls into that sort of ethanol category where the energy needed to produce is greater than the effect that it achieves. Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. not sure that's mm -hmm. true mm -hmm. in carbon capture at all. It depends on what's <laughs> on what's um, obviously fueling it, right? So yeah, if it's a fossil yeah. fuel plant, but you know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, but I think nuclear falls into that scope into that space as well, right? Which is there's been a lot mm. of innovation uh, in nuclear technology over the past thirty or 50, forty years, and yet I think this is where environmentalists have come down very strongly against nuclear for its obvious catastrophic effects, but it, it, it is arguably um, the cleanest way to produce electricity that we've discovered to date, mm -hmm, maybe other mm -hmm. than, you know, dams, which are solar, but at, at scale, nuclear really does the job. And and, if, and and again, there's been a lot of innovation, a lot of positive clean tech innovation there, but it is one that is, <clears throat> I mean, talk about a terrible PR problem. Um, yeah. I mean, actually, I, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because there is, you do have utilities that are talking about nuclear as a part of their low carbon portfolio of power. And I think it's important. I think it's definitely important to have that conversation. You have there has been some, there have been some environmentalists that come out have come out and sort of recognize that they need to take another look at this technology. And there's certainly a lot of money going into it um, at the federal level, like in terms of um, R and D, but also you know some of the investments from companies like Breakthrough Energy. I mean, Bill Gates certainly is putting yeah. money into nuclear as a, as an option, small, the small reactors. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're probably right. That probably does deserve a lot more attention than it gets. But part of the reason it doesn't is, and you know, people are leery of, of writing about the upsides when 
you know, you definitely have to write. That's definitely something you have to spend a lot of time writing about, uh, it, uh, balancing it's in, in, as far as coverage. Um, you know, it's the, the, uh, not, I mean, it kind of like brings in the not in my backyard kinds of people. That's, and yeah. that's, that's a hard thing to, to, to hand, to think about right now, because, you know, some of the most staunch environmentalists, I mean, again, I'll go to the, to the diversity issue in, in, in sustainability is absolutely equally and maybe more so true in the environmental movement, um, where there's been these, these well-respected environmental organizations that, ha- that aren't thinking about the impact, you know, beyond their sort of small worldview. And, um, you know, the boards definitely for those organizations need to change and, and, um, be more diverse as well. And from, in, in terms of, gender in terms of region in terms of race you know like there's because i use that word diversity i mean there's you know i was thinking i was at conference last week and i was thinking wow if i was you know someone who was visually impaired i would have a really hard time here Hmm. you know how would i be you know hearing it so whatever i think there's just so many dimensions of diversity that that don't get you know we tend to think of it as the black versus white issue, I think, in the mm-hmm. United States. But depending on where you are, that word has lots of different meanings. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right. Well, look, so tech can't solve everything. It's trying to solve what it can. In your mm-hmm. view, Heather, how do you think about the other dimensions? And we've touched on a few of those, but sort of corporate governance as one um, kind of what's below the surface in the business, how it's being, what's, what's the business operations, um, and maybe, you know, policy and, and social, you know, broader social action. How are you seeing these coming together or indeed flying apart? So I do think that corporations in general, are more willing and open to having the climate discussion internally, like, and not just in this one small sustainability team. If you think about it, if you talk to the most clear-minded, practical sustainability professional, they'll tell you that what their goal would be is to have their team not really need to exist because every, because it would be everywhere that they don't ha- need to have sustainability in the title. It's just, it's just, this happens to be a function of the procurement team of the, you know, financial team, because they're investing in projects that, that recognize the climate risks. I mean, every business decision should be including that risk. And if it doesn't, it's a re- an irresponsible business decision. So I think that there are, C-suites that have recognized this and, you know, you're not going to put a plant into a place in a, in a part of the world where you might have a water risk, as an example. I, I was talking to, um, is it okay to mention company names? Absolutely. Okay. So I was talking to Procter & Gamble because they recently have updated their water strategy, right? So they re- recognize that that their manufacturing operations and the their products consume a lot of water. And this is not just water, like it goes down the sink. It's the things that get evaporated. The the consumption versus use term is a very explicit one. 
But when I was talking to the chief sustainability officer about that, um, I asked, so how do you justify these investments? And they they have now, I mean, I guess you could call it like a shadow pricing, but they have a mechanism now when where they if they're making a capital investment that has to include the metrics related to these certain climate areas, like water being one of them, but also, you know, things like emissions and like the power supply and, and, and so forth. So that's kind of embedded into the decision-making process right now. And I thought that was a great strategy. It was, um, you know, just happening as, as part of the regular process. And I think it was relatively new, um, but it was to me an important, an important indicator of a company trying to actually make this systemic. And I also think that this is something that, that I get excited about. Um, I think that the young professionals coming into this world that are graduating from MBA school in this moment or, and, and over so like the next five years, they're programmed to think about this. They are coming into, so, so as the workforce in, embraces and, and these younger professionals that have kind of grown up with this, this reality of, of climate change. And they think about this much more, I think, in, a, in just sort of their, their regular day-to-day actions. It's easier for someone to take a, um, a, a behavior that they've learned at a young age into the future with them. Like if you've been recycling or just thinking about plastic or thinking about reducing your footprint or thinking about, I want a, an electric vehicle or thinking about all of these different personal choices, you're going to bring that mindset into your workplace. And I think that to me is exciting because as you see um, younger professionals becoming leaders in their own right, that that, per, that will pervade, that sort of mindset will pervade. So that, that I get really excited about that um, when I think about what's, what's possible. Yeah, no, I do too. And, and <clears throat> you know, in particular that both on the worker, the employee side, but also on the consumer side, Right. The young people are making decisions about the brands that they're going to follow and buy and invest in Mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives. And, and, And much of that has 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 to have a sustainable footprint and a sustainable viewpoint. Um. Yeah, and I think that that's that is a net positive. I also, you know, sort of in the back of my mind, I also think about, you know, this question of, of you know, how how do systems replicate, right? And mm-hmm. and and why, even though after you know, let's call it forty or fifty years of progressive change, do counter arguments to those changes continue to replicate. And, and indeed we're seeing, you know, real now quasi political, but also capitalist driven, hyper capitalist driven counter arguments to sustainability. And I would sort of, mm-hmm. I always kind of bracket that under the, you know, the, what, you know, the, the Peter Thiel, Thiel woke capitalism attack. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think we're starting to see that. Mm-hmm. Right is that there there are ways to divide people along environmental and sustainability lines, which seem very, um, on, you know, on on one hand counterintuitive and and completely unnecessary given the 
the threat, but really as a way to, again, continue to protect and privilege capital above labor, above the environment, um, you know, above consumer protection, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think that is one area where this sustainability movement has done a really bad job, right? Is, mm. is in not demonstrating the value and the job creation value of a lot of these new industries when you, I mean, nothing ever static, right? The economy, there's always an industry that's going out of vogue as another one comes in, into vogue, right? I mean, like, think about like when cars, I'm going to just kind of spitball on this one, but when cars came into the scene and, and, you know, the hackney drivers and the people that were running stables and the, you know, all of the livery services in the literal sense that were put out of business as people started buying cars and taking trains and buses. And sort of as the transportation movement changed, how, so like, what were you going to do? Not have the cars come into place. I mean, so I think the, we just have run, done a terrible job at, at showing the value. I mean, cause even in many of these States, I mean, think about it, like what, what, um, so Tennessee is one of the biggest, states for EV manufacturing in the United States. Did you know that? I did not know that. Right. So but, yeah. like why? <laughs> and <laughs> and you know, if you think about all the investments that are that are already they're also going into place in in Kentucky and Tennessee by, by Ford in the future, um they're they're planning to make one of the biggest battery recycling centers um in in the United States in that area. That's the sort of thing that we should be talking about more, um, showing the the opportunity, I think, and also PS, um, helping th- with the training. I think that's the other thing that we've, historically, the United States has not done a good job at training for the next generation and helping individuals get the skills they need. And we really need to rethink how those skills are developed. Is it through apprenticeships? Is it through uh, you know, degree programs, what is, what will get these folks into a new place? I mean, this is a lot of opportunity. Um, and I think that that is a story that needs to be told in a much more different way and a much more effective way. Yeah. And, and right. The positive economic externalities of a change to a low carbon future has not been well articulated. And yes, the entrenched interests are beginning to push back. And so it's it's always that tension between the future and the past. And I think, you know, techno- back to technology, technology is really uh, uh, the vanguard of, of, of change and evolution. Um, well, look, it, we're, we're coming up on time. This has been a amazingly fast half hour. I just looked at the clock. Um, maybe just some final thoughts, um, that you have, um, you know, just from where you sit again. And, and if, if you have them, um, you know, being, a, as I said, uh, when we were offline, I, you know, I sort of grew up pitching you at ZDNet. Um, and, you know, what, what advice do you have for those in the sustainability world who want to get their story out? Uh, and even my colleagues in the PR profession, what would you how would you advise them to craft a story and bring a story to you? What are you looking for? Well, I am looking for the practical nature of it. I want to hear about 
things and I want to hear about solutions that are real, that that have tangibility to them. So when I'm pitched by, by someone that's trying to talk about new technology, I need to know who's using it. I need to know what's behind it. I need to know how, you know, is it in beta? Is it, what is it? You know, what exactly? So I feel I, so it needs to be tangible and it needs to have a, a, a tangible benefit to corporations. So when you think about green biz, our audience is, is the business world and we, we tend to be business to business. So it's, I, I don't, I don't, you know, as much as a lot of consumer technologies excite me personally, I don't write about, you know, the things that are very focused on individuals or home, you know, home residential stuff that is very focused, you know, we're very focused on business to business development. So new materials, new technologies and so forth. Um, I think that also the way to get my attention is to, to not just talk about the speeds and feeds, but just to make it real. Um, you know, just to maybe be straightforward to talk about, to, to, to put it into context of social justice and, and environmental justice, to put it into cup, the context of job creation, to understand, to, to be able to look at the bigger picture. I can, you know, I can tell when someone's pitching me that, that they don't know anything about what they're pitching because I, I ask the simplest follow-up and I, I know, and they can't, they can't really respond, but having context around what you're pitching, I think is super important. So like context, think practical, and, um, and also, you know, I, I don't, you know, that all being said, I'm not, if something's a crazy idea, I'm also okay with hearing about that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, cause crazy ideas will like, aren't, aren't so crazy sometimes. And, you know, I think about all the, the wacky things you heard about in your past that you were like, nah, that'll never happen. And then like five years later, it was, you know, in everyone's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so true. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, I do try to look at my, my inbox and I, I, I del- definitely delete the things that are completely off base, but I, I keep a lot of things for future reflection and in context. So I don't know if that helped anyone who's listening, but that's me. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to keep all of that for future contemplation and listening and, <laughs> and training purposes, right? Listen to this audio clip from Heather Clancy before you pitch her or anybody like her for that matter. Awesome. Well, look, I can't thank you enough. It's, it's so great to talk to you and I really appreciate the conversation today. Well, thank you for inviting me. The Purposing Podcast is a production of Actual Agency, helping innovators communicate in a changing world. More at www.actual.agency.